Good morning. Good morning and welcome to West Irwin, uh, the West Irwin Church of Christ. We're excited if you're here with us, uh, this is your first time visiting or uh, visiting family or something like that. We're excited that you're here with us. And if you're a regular, I'm excited that you're here with us. So it's good to see you all. Um, I hope that you've had a wonderful weekend, a restful weekend, and are ready to go forward tonight. Um, so first thing, if I don't do this very first thing, I always forget. Um, so attendance cards. If you uh, wouldn't mind to fill out the attendance cards, we're going to have the young guys come around here at some point, and they will pick them up. Uh, but they look really lost whenever there's not cards to pick up. And so uh, make it fun for them. Fill out a card, and they'll pick it up for you. Um, next thing, what I was talking about being rested up for tonight, we've got a big night coming up. Uh, this evening is our all-church holiday game night, dinner night. Uh, there's going to be a lot of good food, a lot of good fellowship. There's going to be a different games. I know last year we played dodgeball, and I think we had uh, some of the different crews, youth group against parents, and just mixing it up real good. It was a lot of fun, and so we're going to get that going again tonight. So that's tonight at 5 p.m. in the Family Life Center. Um, we hope that you'll be here. Uh, come join us. It's going to be a really, really fun time. Um, Last thing I have got, oh, I clicked out of my notes. Uh, last thing I've got is uh, LTC registration. LTC registration, I'm asking that if you could, um, if you have a student going, uh, it's due today, please. So there's a box out on the table in the foyer. Uh, there should be some registration forms out there. Buy it if you don't have one. Uh, just grab one, fill it out. If you've already got it filled out and you can turn it in, uh, send me a picture just any any way. My email is in the bulletin in the youth section if you need it. So send me a picture, do whatever. Uh, but if you could get them turned in today, that would be great. And that's LTC Forms. Okay, I think that's all I've got. I've closed out of my notes. And so if that's not what I've, I'm, I'm finished, so we'll, we'll, we'll just go with it. If you could, um, I'll ask that you stand and we'll get this morning kicked off with the scripture. Reading from Isaiah... Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's sing together. There's a call comes ringing for the restless
church. How y'all doing this morning? The brisk, cold winter storm made me pull my coat off when I came in here. <laughs> I left my parka in the foyer. I have two announcements that were late breaking I want to let you know that are not in the bulletin. Janice Hardaway fell yesterday and uh, she's at home. They're worried that she may have broken her arm or elbow so more news of that will be coming forward. And then uh, we're saddened with the loss yesterday of Ann Cobb, Glenn Cobb's wife of many, many years. She died peacefully at home last night. Glenn's here this morning, so our condolences to Glenn and his family for your loss. It's, uh, there's a lot of things in this life that are easy, but death and loss is always difficult, even though you know where your loved one is headed and that we will meet back up with them in the future. Well, it's December, so you know why I'm up here. I'm up here every December. They throw me under the bus to come up here and tell you all about what we need to do. But many, many years ago, on the first time they threw me under the bus, I said, we will not get up here. I will not get up at the end of December and, and ask for revenues to make up our operating budget because we have to be proactive with our operating budget. We have 11 months to get our operating budget in order. And December's not the time to come up and look for operating capital for shortfalls. So that now has been true for how many ever years ago I said that. We're in good financial shape at this congregation, uh, thanks to the Finance Committee's hard work and the elders 
listening and working with the Finance Committee on their recommendations that our house is in order. And so we've had a tumultuous time over the past two or three years with COVID, with attendance and revenue and things like that. And we've done what we had to do, which is cut things that we had to cut. And, you know, adding budget items, adding things, employees, expenses is easy. You get a lot of, a lot of joy in that. But when you have to cut, it's difficult. And you have to have a strong backbone to be able to do that and stand up and explain that to you. You know, we don't have a printing press here like they do in Washington, so when we're not good stewards of the money and trusted to this church, we have a little problem. We can't be inept like they are. They would throw us in jail for doing the things that they do. I'm not interested in going to jail. But if, if the time comes, I will. I'll be like Paul. I'll try to rejoice and sing while I'm there. So, so here at the end of the year, we do have a few projects we'd like to work on. Uh, a week and a half ago, Bicca came on a Wednesday night, gave us a great presentation. Last week, EEM was here, gave us a great presentation then as well. And so EEM's Million Dollar Sunday is here this month, and we want to, part of our special contribution, go to that. We also want part of our special contribution to be earmarked for the mission committee to find other mission efforts. And in this world we live in, the missions that we look for are hard to find. And we have always tasked the mission committee with finding other things to that are good works, biblical works, to spend the money on for the missions committee. And we want to put a reserve fund out of this special contribution in the missions committee budget and push them a little harder to try to find a worthy work to spread the gospel. The number of baptisms that Bicca had last year is phenomenal. And it's a great work. And EM sending millions of Bibles in people's native language all over the world, Eastern Europe, is wonderful as well. We're large supporters of both of those. We need to be a little more diversified, and so we look forward to that. That's part of what our special contribution will go towards uh, this coming Sunday, the 18th. About 25 years ago, we built the Family Life Center, and we've enjoyed that facility as much as we've spent as much time there as we have in any other part of this complex that we have. And we replaced the carpet in it several times till we finally found a great surface that is there in the main area of the whole building that um, it looks like wood grain, but it's not. It's uh, some type of man-made material. But you can pour water on it, and it's not slippery. And that is an amazing thing that they did not have when we built the building. And after spending a lot of money replacing the carpet several times, when we put that surface down, that surface will last as long as the building and it's a safe surface to have with kids and drinks and all kinds of things on the ground. You don't have to worry about someone slipping in the building and falling. And so that is proven and tested that that works really great. But we did not do the kitchen where all the water starts. And so we have had, over the course of years, many people in the kitchen volunteering, trying to help, trying to work, trying to feed the people of this congregation and many, many others slip in the kitchen and fall because that surface is the old tile surface that if you drop one drop of water on it and step on it 
you better have very good balance. And so we, have, we don't want anyone to go over there and volunteer to help cook and break a hip, break an arm, or whatever. We need to replace that surface. It was wrong when it was put in, but it was the only thing available at the time. We want to do that and change that so it will be as non-slip as the surface in the main part of the building. And we got that building, and we, we built it, and we're happy that we did, but we had a turnkey bid, and when you get a turnkey bid, sometimes you don't get what you really think you might be getting, and the cabinets are particle board, and I can't believe they've lasted 25 years. They're not commercial grade, never were. We want to replace the cabinets since the doors are falling off and the doors are coming out with commercial grade cabinets in the family life center in the kitchen. And replace the countertops while we're there. We want to replace the lights in the ceiling, put LED lights in. They're more energy efficient and they're brighter so you can see better in the kitchen. So that's something that we want to work towards. And while we're there, we want to do both of the bathrooms. Because there, as the kids would say, kind of grody. You know, after 25 years in the commercial building, bathroom needs a little sprucing up. So it has the same slippery surface in the bathrooms. It's where the rest of the water in the building is. So where we have all the water in the building, we have a surface that you can fall on. Where we don't have water, we have a surface you won't fall on. So we want to make it all the same. So that is our project for that. Our other project we'd like to consider is room 112, which is at the, here going back into the children's wing. That uh, room historically has been a classroom. And it served well for that purpose, and it still can in the future. But when you come to church, you either stand to visit with someone or sit in a pew and visit with someone. What we'd like to do to that room is make it more warm and welcoming, a little cozier atmosphere in it. It can still use it as a classroom, of course. The seating will be less, but it won't have those plastic chairs that when you sit in them for 45 minutes and stand up, you wonder what happened to your back. We want some better seating for people to sit there. You know, we may have a refrigerator there with bottled water. Obviously, probably have a coffee pot in there for somebody to get coffee if they want to sit around and discuss, talk to someone before or after church is when it would be used for, or during class time either way. It would also be a benefit to us in that if we have the rejoicing times of a wedding or the sorrowful times of a funeral, we have a waiting area for the family. Because in both of those events, the family always comes in last. And currently, we have no place for the family to wait in a comfortable situation. They can wait in the chapel and pews. It's not very comfortable to be there as a family, especially when you're grieving for a lost loved one. We want that room to also double as that as a waiting area for the family for those two events when they have a staging area for them to come into the to the auditorium later. So that's the scope of all that we want to do. The construction part of that is give or take $100,000. Depends on what material costs, what labor costs, everything's inflation's rampant, and so we don't know if it'll be 110 or 120 or 90, but somewhere in that general vicinity. And we would like to uh, send EEM $20,000, and we would like to put an additional $30,000 minimum in the missions committee budget, put it in their account. That's specifically for them to look for something additional for us to work on. It's around $150,000. So if we don't raise anything but our just a regular contribution, we're fine. We've endured the Family Life Center for 25 years. We've never had a waiting area for someone 
for a wedding or a funeral or a warm kind of connection area, welcoming area in room 112. And EEM will continue whether we give them any money or not because the Lord's taking care of them. But we want to show the gratitude to God that we've been given through living in this great country. And by doing so, show the love that we show for God and spread the gospel to other people around the world. So that will be this coming Sunday. The count probably will not be that day. That's, uh, the count nowadays when we have all these different methods of paying is a little more problematic than you might think, and we're working on that. I know some of y'all have given checks in the box in the back, and it might be a week or so before they're deposited. We're working on getting a plan together that that's more punctual on those deposits. It's more complicated than you would think it would be in our modern society and that we have to do the work for the bank by doing their electronic deposits. So um, it's a little more involved, but we're working on that. So as you think back and you think, well, we don't tithe in the New Testament times. That's a mosaical law. Tithing was 10%. So you think, well, and I'm guilty as anybody, I don't have to give 10%. There's no specific number that I have to give to the church each year. And that's a true statement. It's not documented as to what our percentage needs to be in the New Testament. But I want you all to think about this. I'll preach a little bit. When you tithed in the Old Testament, you gave 10% to roll your sins for a year. That's all you got. That's all you got. In Christianity, God sent his only son to die for each and every one of us. And his blood erased our sins. Is that worth more or less than 10%? I'd argue that it's worth everything. It's worth all your money, all your time, all your heart, all your thoughts, every moment of your life, And you still cannot give back to God the gratitude for what he's done for each and every one of us. So you have a week to think about how you've been blessed this week. Like I said, if we don't collect any more than our regular contribution, we're going to continue to roll forward. This is not about me or the finance committee or anything else. This house is in order. What this is about is showing our appreciation and love to God. And so... Give it some thought this week. Count your blessings. And let's see if we can't move forward into 2023 with our church. If you will bow with me, we will have prayer. Dear God, we come before you this morning thanking you for all our many blessings. We, we see all of the turmoil in the world and we still count our blessings because we know that you are behind us. And that you are God and you are the creator of this universe. And you have provided the method of salvation for us in this life. We pray for all those that are on the prayer and care list. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful that many of the surgeries have gone well and people are recovering at home. We are thankful that uh, Davey and Sonia Carter's grandson got to go uh, home. Home after many, many days in the NICU. Pray especially for Eli Hodges and his 
surgery coming up. Uh, Jenny and David Wicks, grandson, pray all that will go well with that. Pray for Janice Hardaway in her recent fall and pray that she will heal and that we'll be able to see her smiling face soon. I pray, dear Heavenly Father, for strength and love that we can show Glenn Cobb and the loss of his wife. We're sorrowful for that, dear Heavenly Father, and we know that we can show our love to him and support him and try to make this, this time easier for him. But we all do know that that time will come for all of us and that we rejoice in knowing that our home is with you in heaven. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, during this time of the holiday season of Christmas that we will look around and see those that are uh, lonely, those that have missed loved ones, those that uh, would enjoy a call or a visit to comfort them a little bit as uh, this end of the year comes upon us. Dear Heavenly Father, we realize that we live in a depraved world a very depraved world. One that trades a terrorist and arms dealer for a basketball player just because of her sexual orientation while leaving a U.S. Marine in prison. We see depravity throughout the history of this world. We see depravity in your word in the Old Testament. And we see civilizations when depravity was accepted Their time on earth was short. They didn't collapse from external forces. They collapsed from within. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we will be strong. We will follow your word. And that we will see sin as what it is. It's the devil's work in this world. And we need to have no part of it. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for Jesus at this time of year when the world celebrates his birth. We know this was not the time he was born. Had he not been born, he could not have lived the perfect life and died on that cross for us. We rejoice in his birth as well as his death and resurrection his entire life. We're so so thankful that he came. We're so thankful for his sacrifice. We're so thankful that we have the promise of salvation and eternity in heaven with you. That is our desire for all of us. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that you will forgive us because we fail you often. Most times we don't intend to but we do. We pray that you will forgive us and help us to lead a strong and faithful life, obeying your commands. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for this church. We pray that we will work hard to spread the gospel not only in Tyler but throughout the world. Pray that we will have success in doing that. We are again so thankful for Jesus and his sacrifice. And we submit this prayer to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Brethren, to prepare both our minds and our hearts for the taking of the Lord's Supper, let's sing the first two verses of, excuse me, Come Share the Lord. We gather here This is my favorite part of the worship. Sorry, Bill. (laughs) Uh, You wonder why I have this box here. Well, I've been a teacher of kids for close to 50 years, and I can't teach a lesson or present something without a visual. This is my visual. This box was given to me probably close to 25 years ago by our sweet sister, Ruby Cliver. She was uh, completing her teaching career, and she put a lot of work into her visuals, and she didn't want them to go to waste, and she knew that I would use it, so she gave me this box. She called it her silver box. Um, It's very valuable because it tells us a very valuable story, and today, as we remember Christ... The visual I'm going to use today is the crown of thorns. Now, this is not a very uh, easy crown to wear. It has long spikes all the way around it. And I don't know if you're familiar with the plant that this comes from. See, I'm a horticulturist. I've done landscaping all my life. And when I see a plant used in the Bible... (laughs) I go for it. So I did some research on this as as I was studying to present this, and I found that this is in the same family as our poinsettia. These have a white, waxy sap, just like the poinsettia, and you've probably been warned that poinsettias are poisonous. It's the sap that's in it, because that sap... Let me tell you what it does. It says that it is a corrosive uh, sap that will uh, poison your eyes and your skin, causes blisters, and can cause temporary blindness. And all parts of this plant are poisonous. 
Now these spikes on here are a little special in that they have a, an area just below the tip that will break easily. And when that goes into your skin, it automatically breaks off, which is, makes it almost like a hypodermic needle. It will inject that sap into you, <clears throat> causing that corrosive material to get in and cause pain. Can you imagine this put on Jesus' head and the pain that it caused? We usually think about the nails going through his hand or the, the whipping that he got, ripping his skin off of his back, or when they inserted the cross into the hole and all of his weight coming down on those nails in his hands and feet. But this was a part of it too. If you're like me, when I take or do something as a repetitive message every week, I tend to uh, let my <clears throat> excuse me my, my mind wander, and I have to use something like this, thinking of it to help bring me back to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Now we're going to take the uh, the bread. Uh, which actually represents his body. And we need to pray that each one of us can take it in a manner that we remember the sacrifice and think about what it did for us. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the sacrifice of your Son, and that Jesus was willing to give his life for us. As we partake of this, help us to remember the body as it hung on the cross. And remember that it was for us and that our debt is paid. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
remember as we partake of the wine, remember the blood that was on his head where they stuck him and it would run down. The sap that would come out, the sap would run down into his eyes. Does that mean he was partially blind during the sacrifice? We don't know. But it was very painful. And let's remember that pain. It was for us. Dear Heavenly Father, as we partake of this fruit of the vine, which represents the blood of Christ, help us to meditate and remember that sacrifice for uh, was for us. And there's no way that we could ever give back what was given for us. So help us to remember that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we give back to you some of our blessings that we have purposed in our hearts, help us to do this with a giving and happy spirit and help the elders to use these funds to your purposes. Our elders do a wonderful job of that and we want you to know that we have confidence that what we give will be used correctly. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, brethren, if you find it convenient, would you mind standing to let our little ones down the aisles as it's time for our blast class? I know they're always excited about that. And so if they can make their way uh, out of the auditorium, we'll sing uh, two verses of Sing to Me of Heaven. Sing to me of heaven, that's all Are you excited about 2023 finally? Hearing Wade's wonderful presentation and seeing the great potential that we have uh, as a church family and the great job and work and ministry and service that God has for us to do, we know that He will provide the means for us to do it. He'll provide the people that we need, He'll provide the monetary blessings that we need because He always has. And you have always responded. And so I would imagine, Wade, that the elders will have to meet to discuss what are we going to do with all this extra money. And that's the typical problem that our church family gives to our leaders. And what a great blessing that is. You know, before we get to 2023, we've got some holidays coming up still. We've got Christmas Day and New Year's Day. And you may not have heard this yet, but Christmas Day is on a Sunday. Did you know that? I have a feeling that you did. Could there be any more perfect opportunity for us to invite someone to a church service than Christmas Day, when the world celebrates the birth of Christ, the great event that brings about the great event of our salvation? What an incredible opportunity to invite someone to come and hear that story once again and sing those wonderful songs once again with your church family here at West Irwin. Gary will be leading our songs and they will be from that story of the birth of Christ. I'll be sharing a kid's time and a sermon time that talks about that nativity story and tells that story once again. I'm kind of tempted, I gotta say, I'm kind of tempted to get my little security blanket and dress like Linus and come up here and do that. 
I've just got to say, and if you don't know that story, Google Peanuts Christmas Special and you'll be able to see it because it is a classic. It is wonderful. But I hope that you're inviting someone. I hope that you plan to be here if you're in town. And uh, the, the New Year's Day sermon is going to be the God of the Fresh Start. And so I think that I'm excited. I know that I'm excited. I hope that you are as well about the Sundays coming up, including Christmas Day on December 25th. Going places is the theme for the last sermons of this year. We're all going places. We always go. We were talking in our Bible class time about the hectic, crazy schedule that we keep in the world that we live in. And so we're always going places. And I wanted to share a few sermons over the next few weeks about this theme of going places. First of all, going from sin to salvation. That's what we'll be talking about today. Secondly, going from sorrow to joy. Next Sunday on December 18th, we'll have this glorious special contribution. And we're also going to have a special ministry highlight. Our Eric Mosley is putting that together. And it's not just going to be about one particular event, but it's going to take a look back at 2022 and share a lot of wonderful things and pictures and memories of the great things that this church has accomplished and done this year of 2022. So I'm really looking forward to that. Eric will be sharing, uh, uh, or rather, Tuck, uh, Eric will be sharing next week at our communion time, and he'll be sharing about this year that's gone by. Tucker will be sharing our communion thoughts on Christmas Day, and so I'm super excited about uh, the next few weeks, especially that uh, December 18th, and the wonderful opportunity to share about going from sorrow to joy. We'll talk a little bit about that today and more, of course, next week. And then finally on Christmas Day, going from heaven to earth. That trip that Jesus took. This is a, this is a discussion not about a trip that we take, not, a, not about a place that we go, but rather it's about the trip that Jesus himself took. It's about the place that Jesus, the Son of God himself, went. When he left heaven and took upon humanity, and not just humanity in general, but a servant, a baby, a child, in a poor family. And so we celebrate that wonderful night in Bethlehem 2,000 years or so ago when the Son of God came to earth and it was announced in the heavens and He was worshipped on the earth and nothing has been the same since. Going from heaven to earth. We begin today with our own very important trip, going from sin to salvation. And I hope that you've taken that trip. And if you haven't, I hope that the words that we share today will get you to thinking about that once again. This place where we seek to go is the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? That question is asked and answered several times in Scripture And basically what that question is asking is, how do I get from sin to salvation? I want to go to that place. That's what we're speaking about today. It begins with the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel of Christ, Bill? Well, it's what Dale Blackstone came up here and shared in a remarkable way just a few moments ago as we gathered around the table that celebrates the gospel every Sunday. 
It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was affirmed by appearances of Jesus that he showed himself to people in the very city where he had been killed, in the very city where he had been buried, and showed himself very much alive for weeks. Weeks. And so it's just an incredible, incredible story. The death of Jesus on the cross for our sins, his burial in the tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who was a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and became ceremonially unclean as he took Jesus' body down from the cross, helped by another member of that council, Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus by night and had been told, told you must be born again of water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then, of course, on that third day, that Sunday, the incredible resurrection of Christ. That is the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We read about that in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That famous scripture in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. When we talk to our kids on That Christmas Day morning, I'll ask them a question. Do you know why we give gifts on Christmas Day? And it's because it started with God. It's because God gave the greatest gift. When he gave his one and only son. Jesus himself said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Paul himself describes and and delineates what the gospel really is, specifically stating this is what the gospel is to the church at Corinth. And he says it is the death and burial and resurrection affirmed by the appearances of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God of God. That is the gospel of Christ. And so that leads us to the question, so what? It's a wonderful story, Bill. What difference does it make for me? What does it call me to do? What do I have to do to accept that gospel, to make it something that the blood that we celebrated up here, the blood that those thorns created, the, the nails and the spear created, What is it that I can do to where I can receive that forgiveness? To where I can go from sin to salvation? And that's basically the question, what must I do to be saved? And that's where we go from the gospel of Christ to the response of faith. The response of faith. There are a lot of scriptures on your outline, and we won't be turning to those. But we will share what the response of faith is. The book of Ephesians and other places tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. Because you see, one of two things is true. Either Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Everybody sins all of all time, no matter what. Whether they accept him or not. Whether they spit in his face or not. Whether they believe in him or not. His blood covers everybody, no matter what. Or, or there is an answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? What is the response of faith to the gospel of Christ? 
And we have lots of different things that are said about that. We have lots of different people and preachers and religions and churches that share all kinds of different things about that. And the question that you and I want the answer to is, okay, what does the inspired word of God say about that? What does God say is the response of faith to the gospel of Christ? And it's listed there on your outline. It'll be up there on the screen as well. And the scriptures are there in the bulletin. But it begins with believe. We have, you have to believe. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. We are called upon to believe in Jesus. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. <clears throat> Secondly, we are to repent. Just as Jesus said, you've got to believe in me. And he said that in a positive way in John 3.16 and in a negative way. He says the same thing about repentance in the word of God. Unless you repent, you'll also perish like some that they were talking about at that moment in Jesus' discussion had perished. And he also says you must repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We are to believe. We are to repent, which means to change. We are to confess. We are to say, this is what I believe. I believe that Jesus truly is who he says he is. That he is the Son of God. And we are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He tells us that's how we make disciples. By baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And continuing to teach them so that they can grow in their new faith. So many scriptures that affirm that baptism is a part of that response of faith. This morning I wanted to share a a few conversion stories. And instead of me telling you about other people's stories, I've asked two of our men to come and very briefly share their conversion story. Tucker Sullivan will be the first one and then Stan Clark will follow him. Good morning. I was really excited whenever Bill asked me to do this. Um, I don't do it enough, and so I'm excited to share it with y'all. So for anyone visiting for the first time, my name is Tucker Sullivan. I'm the youth minister here at West Sterwin, um, and I graduated from college with a degree in accounting. Now, how did I end up in youth ministry? I want to share that with y'all just a little bit. So I was, starts way back a long time ago, November 2nd, 1998. Um, it was whenever I was born, and I can guarantee you that I was one of those babies who very first day, very first Sunday home from being in the hospital, I was probably in that church pew. Now, I don't remember that for a fact because my memory gets a little foggy from 1998, but um, I, I grew up in one of those families. I, I grew up with uh, two parents who loved the Lord a lot. Um, they were at church any time that they could be. And they set a great example for me, not just by talking about their faith, but by truly living it out. And so from basically what I'm saying is my whole life I grew up uh, in the church. And from a young age, I, I liked going to church. I, I liked going. I enjoyed uh, Sunday school. I enjoyed VBS. I liked all these different parts of it. But really it wasn't until around middle school that I started to, started to get it a little bit more. Um, it was that time whenever my faith started uh, taking on a life of its own. Um, I started to not just 
want to know more about Jesus. You know, I, I knew some about Jesus. I knew the different things I had memorized and different things I had heard in class, but I didn't want to just know more about Jesus. I wanted to actually know Jesus myself. I wanted to have a relationship with him. And uh, in middle school, you know, like I said, though growing up in, in Sunday school, you've got uh, little memory verses that you, you memorize. Uh, for me in middle school, I, I started writing out my own on note cards and hanging it on the fridge just because I wanted to know Jesus more and more. It was middle school whenever I started going to church camp, and I loved church camp. I loved the worship. I loved the fellowship, the uh, time spent with other friends who loved Jesus also. Um, some of my best friends that I made at church camp are still some of my best friends today. But it was my eighth grade year whenever stuff really started to pick up for me. I was, I was super into Jesus. I liked him a lot. I was trying my best to live for him. Um, but there were a couple things that I was still hung up on. And one of the things was being baptized. And honestly, I was, I was really scared to be baptized. I wanted to be baptized. I felt like I knew what it meant. Um, but I was scared, and the reason why is because I didn't have a very good understanding of grace. I thought, you know, I'm going to be baptized, and then I think I'm going to mess up again. <laughs> you know, I, I was scared about that. I was scared that I wasn't going to be perfect after giving my life to him in baptism. Um, I just didn't understand. But then it was December 2nd. It would have been December 2nd, 2012. Um, I heard a lesson given at the Stillwater Church of Christ, actually. Um, and I felt like it was speaking directly to me. Now, I don't remember a ton from the sermon, but I'll tell you what I do remember. There was an illustration that the preacher used about windshield wipers. And what the illustration was, was whenever you've given your life to Christ, whenever you've received the Holy Spirit, whenever you've been baptized, life is still going to keep coming at you. You're, gonna, you're not going to be perfect. Sin is still going to come your way. You're still going to fall short. Um, Whenever you've got those windshield wipers, whenever you've got the blood of Christ, it wipes it all away, right? You don't have to go be baptized over and over and over again every time that you mess up. And, you know, that's exactly what I needed to hear. So I was baptized the very next day, actually. It was uh, December 3rd, 2012, so I just turned 10. Thanks, guys. Um, It's just my birthday. But I was baptized, it was between 11 and midnight that night after an 8th grade basketball game. I was ready. Um, the water was probably filmy and green afterwards, but I came up feeling clean. And that was an amazing, amazing moment for me. Um, and I was right. You know, I was right. After I was baptized, I was far from perfect. I messed up. I sinned. I continue to mess up. I continue to fall short. Um, but what a blessing, what a joy it's been for me to be able to relearn um, the gift of grace, the gift of God's love over and over and over. And uh, it's been my greatest joy. So thank you guys. June the 21st, 1961. It was a Wednesday night, and that is the, the date that I obeyed the gospel. I was 12 years old. Some people would say, now what does a 12-year-old boy know about the church, 
Christianity, the Lord, Scripture, well, you might be surprised. My life changed dramatically two years prior to this. In February 1959, my dad passed away unexpectedly. And I can tell you that a a 10-year-old boy, uh, it created a large void in my life. And I can tell you that a 10-year-old child, whether they be boy or girl, needs a father figure in their life. It's a difficult time. So following my dad's death, my mother, my little brother, myself, we moved from Fort Worth to Marshall, where our family was. We moved in with my aunt and uncle, my grandmother, and my three boy cousins. That's nine people if you do your math right. That's nine people in a small house. We were close. Uh, My Uncle Hugh, he was a used car salesman, World War II pilot, and a part-time gospel preacher. Uncle Hugh was always traveling to little congregations on Sundays and Wednesdays, and it was a thrill for my brother, myself, and my three cousins and Uncle Hugh getting into one of his used cars off the lot and traveling to places like Tatum, Rocky Branch, Orr City, Karnak, numerous little towns in northeast Texas where he would fill in. He was always available. If we didn't travel with Uncle Hugh on a particular Sunday, Uncle Hugh made sure that Philip, my oldest cousin, and myself took notes on the sermon. He wanted to make sure we were listening. So we had to turn those notes in on on three-by-five index cards, and Uncle Hugh would take those notes, put them in a file box, and he would use them periodically uh, in the sermons that he would preach as, as he traveled around. Now, fast forward two years, back when I was 12. It was Wednesday night. Uncle Hugh was filling in at the South Washington Church of Christ, and he was preaching a lesson on Acts 8. You're all familiar with the lesson, Philip and the eunuch. I still remember it. I can close my eyes, and I can hear him, and I can see him teaching this lesson. I was impressed with the urgency that the eunuch showed once he heard Jesus preached. I suddenly realized at 12 years old, I know more scripture than that eunuch did. And I'm thinking, now wait a minute. He heard the gospel preached. They came to water, 
he asked Philip, here's water. What hinders me to be baptized? And, of course, Philip said, if you believe, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They both went down into the water. Philip baptized the eunuch. At that moment in Uncle Hugh's lesson, I knew that I had reached the age of accountability. It was like a bolt of lightning. I knew I was there, that I understood what sin was. I had an immediate desire to be baptized. This was a Wednesday night. I didn't wait till Thursday. I didn't want to wait till Sunday. I didn't want to make another date where it would be convenient. I wanted salvation immediately. I have never understood when a man or a woman understands that they're lost and they need salvation, that they put that off. We never know. We have no insurance on tomorrow. Glenn's wife is a pure example of that. It can happen to any of us. When you're ready, you need to act. Well, I stepped out, and I walked forward, and I made the good confession, and uh, Uncle Hugh baptized me for the remission of my sins. Now, 61 years later, I try to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, as y'all do, understanding that believing in Jesus and believing that that blood of Jesus continually cleanses me from my sin. I believe that, and I know you do too. You know, Bill, my message to anyone who has not obeyed the gospel, do it now. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Now, you cannot sugarcoat that. If you do not obey the gospel, failure to obey the gospel means you have no hope of salvation. That's not Stan Clark saying that. That's what the Lord said. The only thing in a person's future who does not obey the gospel is an eternity in hell. I would encourage anybody, when they have the opportunity and they believe, just like that eunuch believed, do it now. You notice the eunuch did not want to ride another mile in that chariot. Once he, Jesus was preached to him, and he understood about baptism, right the first place they saw water, that was it. What hinders me? The eunuch is a great example. And I'll close with this. Like Henry Lewis used to say over in Canton, y'all remember him, I'll meet you at 2 in the morning 
if I know you're coming. You know, I'm just a member here at West Irwin like many of you are. But I'll tell you this. I'll meet anyone, anytime to study and hopefully baptize you into Christ. It doesn't have to be the preacher. It doesn't have to be one of the deacons. It doesn't have to be an elder. I'm available. So, Bill, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Thanks, brother. Thank you, my friends. What a powerful, powerful message from both. Let me say two things, and then we'll go to the last point and close. Number one, if you have not done what Tucker and Stan shared about, what we have preached about today, do that. Do it today if you're ready. If you're not ready today, then talk to one of us and get ready. Because that is the most important decision and the most important action that you will take for your entire life. Because your eternity depends on it. And secondly, if you have done that, and you have children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren and they have not heard your story, fix that. Tell them. Find the right moment. Find the right time. Maybe it's Christmas Day when everybody's together. Maybe it's this afternoon when you say, what did you think of Mr. Stan and Mr. Tucker's stories? Let me tell you mine and tell them. By all means, tell them. We go from the gospel of Christ to the response of faith to the promise of heaven. And I, I can't help but think, Brother Cobb, of your wonderful wife. Seeing her on the back of the pew in the chapel on our Wednesday night class, seeing her back there where Brother Cobb is today, the promise of heaven. Jesus said there would be a resurrection of the good and the evil, one resurrection in John 5. He promised his disciples and he promises us today that I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back for you because I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many what? Mansions. And we're going to sing that great hymn as we close today. Jesus says, I'm preparing one for you. The promise of heaven is real. The promise of heaven should impact how we live our lives today. It's not just about being in heaven. It's about living faithfully here now. With that blood of blood of Christ with that windshield wiper washing away our sins continually cleansing us but we live faithfully to Christ not perfectly but we trust him and we seek to have an impact for him in every way whether it's a special contribution or a wonderful church fellowship party tonight or whatever it might be we let that promise of heaven impact how we live our lives today For me, I remember the next day after I was baptized, wondering why nobody in the ninth grade at South San San Antonio High School could tell that something incredibly mysterious and wonderful had happened to me, but they couldn't. They couldn't see it physically, but hopefully they could see it emotionally and perhaps over time. And we all want to let that promise of heaven, that gospel of Christ, be seen in our lives. And that's the sermon next week, going from sorrow to joy, living that new life. You know, I want to close with this thought. The best thing about heaven is the worst thing about hell. 
It gets back to a little bit of what Stan and Tucker were saying. The best thing about heaven is the worst thing about hell. I got to tell you, there's a lot of questions I have about heaven. I'm not sure. I have an ongoing discussion with a longtime friend of mine in Arlington because she says, Bill, when the Bible says there's golden streets in heaven, there's going to be golden streets. And I tell her, well, Glenel, that could be symbolic. And she says, no, 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 no. I'm going to stand on them. I'm going to walk on streets of gold. And I'm telling her, Glenel, if you're right, I'm great with that. So long as we're both there. Because you see, Jesus is going to be there. And this I do know about heaven. And this I do know about hell. The best thing about heaven is the worst thing about hell. The best thing about heaven, Jesus is there. That's where I want to be. That's where I want you to be. And the worst thing about hell, no matter what else is true, Jesus will not be there. This morning, if we can help you respond in faith to the gospel of Christ and receive, take hold of the promise of heaven, come as we stand. And sing this great hymn. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His word, precious blood of Jesus leads to the mansions above. Let's sing one verse of uh, I'm satisfied with the mansion above and then we'll have our closing prayer. One, five, three. I'm satisfied with just a
Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, to come here and learn about the ultimate sacrifice for us, and to give thanks to you, Lord. We pray for everybody in our prayer and care list, and for all the families that are represented here today. Lord, we thank you for all that you do. In these things we pray. Amen.